May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. I don't know if you've noticed, but happiness is very popular nowadays. Um, in fact, uh, there's been extensive research, and if people were offered the choice between happiness and not happiness, overwhelmingly they choose happiness. I mean, it's, it's not happiness is, is just, you know, it's not well received, you know, but what's not to like about happiness, right? I mean, happiness is, is a luscious scoop of pleasure wrapped up in a blanket of contentment. Mmm. Happiness is good. What's, you know, what's not to like about that? But, uh, uh, suffering? When you throw suffering in the mix? Suffering doesn't even rate as high on the scale as not happy. I mean, nobody chooses suffering, right? I mean, well, a couple of us, you know, if, if you're thinking like, well, I want to be biblical and, you know, maybe, no, you really don't want to suffer. I know. I don't want to suffer. I'm a pro. I, you know, suffering is just no fun. It's nothing compared to happiness, especially in a country where we have, we have described the pursuit of happiness as an unalienable right. Right? I mean, it's a God-given thing, the pursuit of happiness. And I was, I really honestly forget who I was talking about sometime about a week ago about this. And I don't know if you're in the room or not, but, but I was talking with somebody about the pursuit of happiness. And, and they were talking about it like, that's one of the greatest curses ever put on our country. Is people are, are, are seeking just to be happy and they think it's their right to be happy and, and, and uh, you know, it, it leads us astray. Well, more on that later. What I want to talk about today is what do you do when you're in a situation that's less than pleasing? Because I don't know about you, I'm not happy all the time. All right? I'm encountering things that really aren't pleasant at times. We, we get in bad situations, and sometimes we, we pay the price for things. Maybe it's our fault, but a lot of the times it's not even our fault, right? And we're paying the price. Now, one of Jesus' closest friends and followers wrote about it uh, 2,000 years ago. He wrote a letter, and uh, archaeologists have found copies of the letter. We have copies today. Of, of what he wrote. It was a, uh, his follower named Peter. And this comes from what Peter wrote about that topic. First Peter 2. The passage we read today was 13 to 25. But we're actually going to start in verse 19. And this is how Peter introduces the topic. He says, God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. So if it's your fault in your suffering, you know, you don't get any credit for going through that. It was your own fault, right? But, he says, if you suffer for doing good, if you're doing the right thing, and something happens and you suffer for doing the right thing, does that ever happen? 
You ever done the right thing and gotten the wrong response? If you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Now, now, one of the interesting things about how Peter opens up this topic is that Peter is not primarily concerned with how we feel, but he's primarily concerned with how God feels. He says, God is pleased when. And he does talk about there are two things that, that make God happy or that, or that please God. But, but instead of being concerned with how he feels and how unjust it is, you know, when, that we feel, how we feel when it's unjust and it's wrong and it's bad and I can't believe they did that and can you believe they did that and let's tell other people how wrong it is and that they did that. Peter's first response is not, how do I feel? Peter's first response is, what does God think? How can I make God happy? Pain tends to focus our attention on the pain, right? You ever stubbed your toe? Where's your attention? On your toe, right? Our pain gets focused on the things, or or our attention gets focused on things that causes pain. And we recognize the pain, and then we want to do something about the pain. Then we want to make sure the pain doesn't come along again. Get that rock out out of my yard. I don't want to stub my toe anymore. But Peter's first concern in the middle of the pain is how can I please God in the middle of the pain? Which I think is, that's extraordinary. That's extraordinary. And he says there are two ways to please God in the middle of your pain. Number one, he says, God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right. God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right. Now, sometimes, sometimes I think the temptation is there to, you know what the right thing to do is, but dang, there's a price to pay for that. I mean, if, if I do what's right, it's going to look bad on me. You know, if I, if I, if I do the right thing and, and say, you know what, I, uh, that money I owe you, I, 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 I spend it somewhere else. If I tell the truth, if I confess it and that's the right thing to do, it's not going to go well with me. Dad's not going to be happy with me. I'm probably going to get put on restriction because I wasted Dad's money, right? But God's pleased with you when you do what you know is right. Even if there's a cost to it, even if you're going to pay a price for it, when you do what's right, God smiles. It puts a smile on God's face. Even if somebody makes fun of you, even if they call you names, even if they defriend you. (gasps) The second thing that pleases God is if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently. If you endure it with patience, evidently God looks at that and smiles. And that somehow in the heart of God, he's finding pleasure. He's proud of you when you go through it patiently. 
as opposed to what? Acting out. Complaining. Sitting down in the dirt and folding your arms and crying. Whining. Complaining. Bickering. Blaming somebody else. Not taking responsibility. No, when you go through it patiently, something about that brings a smile to God's face. He looks at you and is glad because of you. You have to be patient when you're in it. Now, Peter goes on. He says, if God, well, he says, God called you to do good even if it means suffering. Isn't that tough? This is something, uh, you know, it's, it, this doesn't get taught very often, does it? But God calls you to do good even if it means suffering. And then he brings up the great example here. He says, just as the Messiah, just as Christ suffered for you. If you're suffering, he's going to compare this to Jesus. And he's going to say, look at how Jesus suffered. Any, any, uh, uh, do you doubt at all that, that Jesus suffered? No, we don't doubt that at all. Well, let's look at how Jesus suffered. What did he do in the middle of his suffering? How can that be an example for us? And that's what Peter's about to do for us. He says, he, Jesus, is your example, and you've got to follow in his steps. Now, Keep in mind, Peter isn't saying, here's how you can avoid suffering and be happy all the time. He's saying, basically implying, you know what? You're going to suffer. And some of it, you're not going to deserve in any way. It's not your fault. So when you're in those situations, what do you do? What do you do? This is what Jesus did. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. Jesus didn't forget who he was. You remember last week we talked about being a royal priesthood? Jesus was the king priest. Still is, by the way. He never forgot that. He never turned away from it. He never turned his back on God. He never stepped out of of what he was supposed to be doing. Don't do it. Don't step away from those things. Uh, He didn't lie to get out of it. Jesus didn't say, you know, when the the soldiers came to the garden, he didn't point and say, it was John. It was John. It wasn't me. It was John. He never deceived anybody. He didn't say, nope. I'm not the man you're looking for. He knew what he had to do. He suffered for doing right. And he didn't sidestep it. Hmm. Second thing, verse 23, he did not retaliate when he was insulted. I wish we could remember that on Facebook. Nor did he threaten revenge When he suffered. That's hard. You know. And I I know you. We see the same things. Isn't this a very natural response? 
I mean, if, if, if I'm suffering, it's very easy for me to lash out. If somebody calls me a name, it's very easy for me to lash out. If, if I'm doing it and somehow you're involved, I want to push back on you, right? And Peter says, Jesus didn't do that. And that's hard. What did he do? He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. And i got to tell you, that's tough. That is really tough. Um, having been in situations, as I'm sure you have too, where you know that God knows the truth and nobody else does, and how satisfying it would be to, to you know, to, to push back and, and blame other people because, frankly, they're wrong. But instead to trust God to take care of it and that God's going to work this out. Now, I'm not saying, and don't hear in this, that if something unjust happens to you, you can't do anything about it. But I am saying be careful how you do it. Okay? If you get accused of something and it's not true, it is okay to say, hey, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. You know, it is okay. Justice works both ways. And it is a just thing to defend yourself against the unjustness that can happen. It's you, You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that it doesn't matter what comes your way. Just take it on the cheek and turn the other one. No, I'm saying that even when you're doing all the right things, even even when you're being honest and saying, that wasn't me, it wasn't my fault, I didn't do it, sometimes you're still going to pay a price in life. You're going to suffer. And it's not fair. And one of the things that Jesus did when he was in that situation is he left his case in the hands of God. It's a hard thing to do to let God be the one that vindicates you. Especially when it seems that God's absent or when God's uncaring. But remember that nobody pulls the wool over God's eyes. God is not surprised. He knows what's been done. He's not absent. He is not incompetent. He is not uncaring. And he is trustworthy. He knows. He knows. Another thing Jesus did, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. Now, there's some hard theology in that, trying to answer the question of, whoa, how did that happen? But but the bottom line is there are some things in here that are very clear. What's very clear is we don't have to act out. We can live and do what's right we can even do the right thing when the wrong thing's been done to us. We can even do the right thing when the wrong thing has been done to us. I'm not saying it's easy. It is a very difficult choice to make, but it is a choice that you can make. For Christians, Christians, you have the Spirit of the Lord God Almighty living in you. You are different. You have been changed and renewed and you have the capacity to make choices 
that you never had before you came to know him. And you are able to make that choice, even when it's hard. You can be dead to sin and live to do what is right. And Peter says, you know what? By his wounds, you were healed. Somehow the death of Jesus on the cross, and we're still talking about that, because this is still the season of Easter. The death of Jesus dealt with our sin and our brokenness in such a way that we are now able to be whole in a way we were not able to be whole before. We can become mature in a way that we couldn't do without it. We can focus on Jesus as our pattern and deal with the difficulties of life in a better way. Now, happiness is not our goal, not in the way we think of happiness today. Maturity is our goal. And we have a choice to make when we suffer. When it's unfair, when it's unmanageable, will we choose to do good and will we choose to be patient? Peter wasn't the only one that thought like this. Paul thought like this. He wrote the church in Rome. He said in chapter 5, verse 3, We can rejoice also when we run into problems and trials. We can rejoice when we run into problems? Yes, Paul says, for we know they help us develop endurance. It's in a trial, it's when it gets hard, that sometimes the the best thing you can do is to keep on putting one foot in front of the other and just put your head down, try and get through it. And you develop endurance from just, I'm not going to give in to it. I'm not going to give in to it. I'm just, you know, not today. Endurance develops strength of character. In other words, if, if you learn how to get through it for an extra day, the next time you go through it, you can probably get through it for two days. Your character grows. You become changed by how you meet the suffering. You can grow. You can become more mature. Endurance develops strength of character. Character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. The more you go through, the more you know you can go through, the more you know God does deliver you. Romans 12 says, Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. That means it's mature. That's how God wants you to be. So when you face trials, you have a choice on how you respond in it. When you're suffering, even if it's not your fault, God can, can help you to grow up and grow through it and become more like him and know him better and understand him more. Sometimes our wonder has to be held in check. And we need this discipline to grow. All right. I want to read you something that was written by a a medical doctor not too long ago. His name is Dr. Leonard Sachs. And he talks about this whole thing of of happiness and, and the character that's produced when that's all we're seeking is our happiness. 
It's kind of interesting. It's not very long. Dr. Leonard Sachs on the blog said this. I've been a medical doctor in the United States for more than 30 years. Today, I often hear American parents say, I just want my child to be happy. Unfortunately, when you let contemporary American kids do whatever makes them happy, the result is likely to be teenage girls who spend all their time on Instagram or Snapchat and teenage boys whose favorite pastimes are video games and pornography. As a family physician, I've seen the consequences long-term, firsthand. That 15-year-old boy seems quite content spending his time just as he pleased. But 18 years later, at age 33, he has a growing sense that life should be about more than video games. He's living at home with his parents, and he lashes out in anger. He's working a part-time at a, he's working part-time at a dead-end job and he's often angry against his own parents for reasons he struggles to put into words. But the words should be, why didn't you raise me to be more than this? Isn't that an interesting look on the pursuit of happiness? See, seeking happiness in the in the way that we think of happiness does nothing to grow you. It doesn't help you grow up. It doesn't help you deal with suffering. And if you avoid suffering, somehow you avoid some of the things, the very things that help develop you into who God made you to be. He goes on. This is his last thing. He says, it's no use letting kids do whatever they desire unless you have first educated their desire. The first job of a parent is to educate the child's desire, to instill a longing for something higher and better than video games or pornography or social media. We have to educate our wanters, church, that happiness is not what we're seeking and that suffering is is. One of the main roads through which we get to what we want. Because what we want, really, is to know him and to be like him. There's nothing wrong with being happy. And there are things much worse than suffering. Now, this pursuit of happiness that I brought up a few minutes ago, let's go back to that for just a moment. The inalienable right or unalienable right to pursue happiness. You know how the definition of words change over time? Was it, was it the, I'm, I'm forgetting here, was it the 1890s that were called, there's the decade called the gay 90s? Is that, am I thinking about that right? And it had nothing to do with sexual preference. That's not what that word meant. That, that word meant lightheartedness and, and enjoyment. had nothing to do with what it does today. The definition of the word has changed over time. That happens. At the time that our founding fathers were writing the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, the word religion meant something slightly different. Today, we use the term religion to mean 
uh, a system of faith and belief. And we include under that term things like Christianity and Judaism and Islam, uh, Buddhism, Confucianism, atheism. Okay. When, when the documents were written, that's not how they defined it. When they used the word religion, they were meaning what, what we would say denominations mean. They, they, so, so when you read through the document, if you don't know that, you think they're talking about something different than what they were saying. Okay. So the definition of happiness has changed as well. Today, we, when we say happiness, we mean that feeling of pleasure and that feeling of contentment. Right? When they wrote that word happiness over 200 years ago, they meant something much more like the self-worth and dignity you acquire by contributing to your community. The self-worth and dignity you acquire by contributing to your community. That puts a little bit of a different spin on it. It wasn't hedonistic like we tend to think of it. But they were saying it's a God-given right to, communi- to, uh, to contribute to your community and to receive that sense of well-being and dignity that you get from doing it. It's your God-given right to help others and to feel good about it. That's what they were saying. There's nothing wrong with being happy. There are worse things than suffering. And how you suffer can make all the difference to you and to your community and your relationship with God and others. Amen? Last verse. This is the sum up. Endure hardship is discipline, it says in Hebrews 12. God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Amen. We stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Nicene Creed.